6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Ezra, chapters 4 through 7. Well, so it doesn't get too late. We'll just jump right into it. In fact, it might not be a full hour session. We're going to, we're in session two of the book of Ezra, and we'll try to get uh, chapters four through seven. Eight, nine, and ten will make a, a nice final unit to the book. So we'll really have done it. We will have done Ezra in three sessions. And I think it'll probably take five to go through Ezra, uh, Nehemiah for those of you. Now, um, Ezra probably didn't record the events of the first 21 years, that is from the, the departure until, uh, uh, until the temple was finished in 515, because he was making a theological point uh, that the temple Lord was completed despite the opposition that might have stopped any other project. Now we're going to see that, uh, see, not until the temple was rebuilt could the people really live in accord with the covenant. And so Ezra's account of this interim period is going to differ in tone from Haggai's account of the opposite. We're going to, the whole thing that's coming up in the next few chapters is this rebuilding of the temple is going to get opposed by all the neighbors. And, uh, Haggai will, um, focus, uh, on the internal attitudes of the people rebuilding it. Ezra is going to focus on the external pressures of the surrounding people. So one of the things you can do, Haggai is just a couple chapters. So what you might do in preparation next time is not only read the rest of the book of Ezra, but might read Haggai chapters 1 and 2. Haggai will focus on the internal message of, to the people. Ezra will be chronicling the external pressures, if you follow me. So let's go ahead into Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord, a God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezahadon, the king of Asher, or Assyria, uh, which brought us up hither. By the way, it mentions these two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, simply because they probably constitute the majority. There's obviously many more other tribes also involved, the Levites and so on. But uh, but uh, uh, Judah and Benjamin are the dominant factors here. And uh, also it was largely the old territories of Judah and Benjamin that they're now in because they're trying to rebuild the temple so they're all within reasonable distance of Jerusalem. They're not necessarily scattered to what originally was the full territories. Now I might mention that if you go back in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 8, Isaiah prophesied that the northern ten tribes would cease to be a distinct people within 65 years. And he prophesied that in 734 B.C., and it was fulfilled by 669 B.C. with the reign of the Assyrian king, Ezerhaddon, and uh, who was responsible for transplanting the foreigners into Samaria. Now, some people, however, had been displaced into Samaria earlier by the Assyrian king, Sargon II, and Sennacherib, and so on. So these guys were probably some of those, if you will. And uh, so they're, they're appealing on the basis of the fact that they, like the Jews, were a displaced people. See, we're displaced people too. We want to help you build your, 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 uh, your, uh, 
uh, temple. And they're downplaying the fact that nation Israel's roots in the, they, 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 were, uh, you know, they had roots in the land. Does this have a contemporary ring to it? Does this sound like arguments that are advanced today, you know? They, in effect, were ignoring the fact that Israel had, a, had deep roots that they were reclaiming here. See, these foreigners had married uh, with, uh, intermarried with Israelites, and it was their descendants that now approached Zerubbabel, saying, we seek your God as you do. And uh, this proposal is very dangerous because it masquerades as true religion. Second Corinthians 11 deals with this, 6, and so on. Now, the peoples around them are really their enemies. They're, they were descendants of the mixed peoples and the forefathers of the New Testament Samaritans, if you will. And uh, they claimed to be uh, worshiping the same God, but they were really a syncretistic form of worship. They worshiped both Yahweh, or Yehovah, whatever, and others in sort of a mixed thing. And uh, that God doesn't go for that. So their, their statement uh, was not fully accurate. It was apparently made to mislead the leadership, was what their temp was. Now, the, the opposition is going to use two methods. The first going to try to, you know, uh, uh, offer to help, hoping to infiltrate the ranks and derail the project. And by the way, be careful with this tactic in your own ministry efforts. When people offer to help, be careful. We had a number when we first moved up here, a number of false starts of people that may, you know, seemed to mean well, but in fact were probably Satan's plants in various ways. Anyway, when that doesn't work here, they, they also frighten the builders, probably with threats on their lives and everything else, and even hired counselors to frustrate them. Uh, and they came to Zerubbabel to the chief of the fathers and said to them, Let us build with you. We seek, after, we seek your God. That's their claim. Just because they seek your God doesn't mean they're seeking him exclusively. That's part of the problem here. As you do, we do sacrifice to him since the days, and they, they make a claim to background here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua, that's the civil and religious authority here, in effect, and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said to them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto our Lord God of Israel. As King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Very interesting. The important command is that God commanded them to do this. But as far as these people are concerned, they take refuge, if you will, that King Cyrus has commanded them to do this. See, that decree by Cyrus is very important. Now the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So see, they're not through. They're, they're just, they're, they're bad guys. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. Darius will succeed here, and we'll talk more about him as we go. And, the, and, in, the, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Ahasuerus is probably Xerxes. He is the, the king of the time of Esther. And just to give you a feeling of the timing here. But they wrote, they're, they're stirring up trouble, they're writing the, the king. In the days of Artaxerxes wrote uh, Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes the king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue, interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Or we could call it Aramaic, same thing. Reham the Chancellor and Shimshai the Scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king in this sort. This is a second form of opposition, obviously, where they try to discourage the workers, make them afraid. That's, uh, Jeremiah was accused of doing this very thing back in his day, Jeremiah 38. And this is where the Samaritans are revealing their true character, if you will. Um, and uh, they, they, will, they will reveal their real true character when 
After further rejections, they're going to build their temple at Mount Gerizim. And that comes up in John chapter 4 with the woman by the well, if you may recall. But uh, in any case, uh, we'll just keep moving along here. Now, when we get to, from verse 6 on, there's a parenthesis. The narrative is going to stop, and we're going to have a background. Ezra's going to background these, uh, a parenthetical section here of letters to and from Artaxerxes. They're out of place chronologically, but they follow logically to show the opposition that Ezra had begun to describe. And it continued for many years until Xerxes finally uh, began to reign, and on until the days of Artaxerxes. So this is going to set up background that you'll need to understand to really appreciate what not only what Ezra was against, but what Nehemiah finally unraveled here. And by the way, the word accusation that came up here in verse 6, by the way, is the same root in the Hebrew as the word Satan. In other words, it means the accuser, basically. Okay, I've got, I got more background than you really <laughs> probably want to get into. It's written, of course, in the Aramaic language, a, a, um, rather, Aramaic script rather than the Hebrew slant script, if you will, or in cuneiform. Um, now, Rahum was the, the uh, commanding officer and Shimshai was the secretary. Probably were Persians who were persuaded to write the letter, if you will. And we get to verse 9. Then wrote Rahum the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their companions. And there's a whole list of these, these, uh, 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 various uh, participants from various parts of the Persian Empire. The Dinaites, the Afarshites, and the Tarpalites, and the Afarsites, and the Archivites, and the Babylonians, and the Susankites, and the Dehavites, and the Elamites are uh, all these various regions. See, I understand this is not just a local thing. This is the Persian Empire we're dealing with here. And the rest of the nations whom the great noble uh, Asnapar uh, brought over and set in the city of Samaria and the rest that were on this side of the river and at such a time. Because of this translation policy that the Syrians had, there there these kinds of people scattered in and out, of course, of the area of Samaria. This is the copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even to Artaxerxes the king. Thy servants, the men on this side of the river and at such a time, be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem building the rebellious and bad city, and have set up walls thereof, and joined the foundations. Now frankly, from some details here, they're exaggerating the amount of progress these guys have made, but they're trying to sound the alarm here. The uh, the, the letter itself will be uh, uh, detailed here. Be it known now unto the king that if this city be builded, and the walls set up again, then will they not pay toll, tribute, or custom, so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. See, they're trying to alarm the king that these people are going to set up the wall of the city and they're not going to pay taxes and you're going to damage the empire. So, Now, because we have maintenance from the king's palace and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we sent and certified the king that search be made in the book of the records of thy father's so shalt thou, find, thou found, find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city and hurtful unto kings and provinces and that they have moved sedition within the time of old time, within the same of old time, for which cause the city was destroyed. Bear in mind, see, we're not talking about the reign of Artaxerxes. There's several kings back there to get back to Darius and, and Cyrus. They're saying, search the records. You'll find that Jerusalem, when it wasn't destroyed, was a source of trouble. That's why they destroyed it back there. That's their argument. What's going to happen, by the way, is going to search the records and discover the decrees by Cyrus and Darius that give these people authority. So it's going to backfire on them before it's all over. 
But anyway, that's that's the they're out uh, obviously trying to you know stir up trouble here, and uh, the complainers are saying it's their patriotic duty to tell the king you know that what was happening so he could search the records and see that Jerusalem was a rebellious city and so forth, and uh, so it goes on. We certify the king that if this city be built again and the walls thereof set up, by this means thou shalt have no portion on this side of the river. Then set the king an answer to Rehum the chancellor and to Shimshai the scribe and to the rest of their companions that dwell in Samaria and to the rest uh, beyond the river. Peace, peace, and at such a time. The letter which he sent unto us hath been plainly read before me. This is Artaxerxes' response. And I commanded, and search hath been made, and has found that this city of old time hath made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have been many mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and toll and tribute and custom was paid unto them. Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, that this city be not builded, until another commandment shall be given from me. That clause is very important, because you'll discover when you study both Daniel 6 and the lion's den, and also study the book of Esther, you'll discover that the Persians had a legal system in which once a king made an edict, he couldn't change it unless he provided for a change. And so it turns out this little clause in verse 21 is very important. He tells him to cease and desist until another commandment should begin for me. In other words, this turns out, it sounds negative, but it's actually in their favor. It's going to turn out to be in their favor because he's setting the stage as he examines this more carefully um, that uh, to make a change. He says, Take heed now that ye fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the herd of kings? Now when the copy of the King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai and the scribe and their companions... They went up in haste to Jerusalem and to the Jews and made them cease by force and power. They ceased the work of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, so it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. So things came to a halt. I want you to notice something here. What they're trying to do is build a temple. But the point at issue is the walls. They're going to end up building their temple finally. But that isn't the thing that's going to work here. They need to build, they need to have the authority to build the walls. And that's going to come under Nehemiah and Artaxerxes. That's forthcoming. Very important distinction to make. A distinction which Gabriel emphasized when he gives Daniel the prophecy in Daniel 9, centuries earlier. So that's so much for chapter 4. Let's go to chapter 5. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, even unto them. See, Haggai and Zechariah are encouragers. Very different style of their books. And uh, you need to read those books to understand. Zechariah is full of incredible little tidbits, little cryptic prophecies that are real grabbers. Both fun books. Anyway, then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zodiac, Josadak, Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God, helping them. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar Bosnai and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house, and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them, so does the we see Ezra is now present. Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. And the copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor, on this side of the river, and, and Sheth Bosnai and his companions, and the Evharshakites, which were on this side of the river, sent to Darius the king. 
They sent a letter wherein was written thus, Unto Darius the king, all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones, and the timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands. Then ask we, then ask we these elders, and said to them, Thus, who commanded you to build this house and to make these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee, that we might write the names of the men that were the chief of them. And thus they returned us this answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and build a house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and set up, referring, of course, to Solomon. But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away to Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. And the vessels also of gold and silver, the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, and brought them to the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered unto one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And said unto him, Take these vessels, go carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in his place. And then came the same Sheshbazar, and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and since that time, even until now, hath it been building, and yet is not finished. By the way, you notice the word Sheshbazar here is being used to the Persians against this Persian accusation. So I, I tend to lean to think that that's just the Persian name of Zerubbabel. Whether it's two guys or one guy is sort of irrelevant, but that's the way I lean anyway. Verse 17, Now therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build his house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning the matter. Interesting challenge. They're challenging them to go back and check the records. They have a precedent authority back from Cyrus. That's what they're challenging them. It is incredibly impressive to me that they're able to go back and that the Persian records, even though distributed in different capitals, they're able... They were very tidy, very organized, very impressive administration. They dig up this decree. And that, of course, is Ezra chapter 6. Then Darius the king made a decree, and the search was made in the house of the rolls, where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha, in the palace that is in the province of the Medes, not the Babylonians, on the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. Akmetha is probably a variation, if you will, of Ekbatana. It's the capital, the, the, it's the capital of the old Median, Median, uh, 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 empire. And the scroll was Ekbatana. Because, by the way, that's where Cyrus spent the summer of 538 when the decree was granted. And he issued the decree. In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king made a decree concerning the house of God in Jerusalem. Let the house be builded the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundation thereof be strongly laid. And the height thereof was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof threescore cubits. By the way, that sounds good, but that's half the size of Solomon's temple. So from, from, a, from a Jewish point of view, that's very disappointing, but at least it's a, it's a step. With three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, let the expenses be given out of the king's house. In other words, Cyrus is paying the bill. That's got to be impressive. I'm always interested to see who's right, signing the checks. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, be brought unto Babylon, be restored, and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, every one to his place, and place them in the house of God. And now therefore, Tatnai the governor, beyond the river 
Sheth Harboz and I and your companions and the Aphrodites, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. <laughs> In other words, that's a be uh, that 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 puts it pretty straight. Be ye, be ye far. Let's see. I've got a, a more critical. Yeah, be ye far. It's a. It happens to be a very common Aramaic legal statement. Uh, it, uh, in other words, uh, 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 what, what's the term I'm, I'm fumbling here? Restrain, thank you, a restraining order. Excellent. That's what we would call a restraining order, yes. Be far from thence. In other words, you stay away from them, is what he's saying. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree. Get this now. He knows how to, he, this guy is a good administrator. He, he makes it, he, he gets rid of any ambiguities here. Moreover, I make a decree that ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river. Now, this is going to come out of the budgets of the people doing the complaining. <laughs> Forthwith, expenses be given unto these men that they be not hindered. Ooh, <laughs> that's kind of fun, but he's not through. And that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. He's, he's saying, you know, they're going to pray for us too, see? And I have made a decree. Now get this, in case, in case they don't understand, Darius is going to explain it a little more clearly, okay? Also, I've made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house, and being set up, let him be hanged thereon, and let his house be made a dunghill for this. You get the picture, right? I might give you another technicality. When you read the book of Esther, you find that you know, they keep talking about Haman hanging on gallows and so forth. That's a mistranslation. What, they actually, what the word actually means is impaled. The Persians are the ones that invented crucifixion. And it, it gets really adopted by the Romans very broadly, but its origin is in the Persian days. They don't hang, they impale. So very likely these are early forms of crucifixion he's talking about. Let him be hanged thereon. No, nailed thereon, impaled thereon. And let his house be made a dunghill for this. Now this is the king talking. You know. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put their hand to altar and destroy this house of God which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. <laughs> Let's visualize Yule Brenner. Yeah? So let it be written, so let it be done, kind of thing. You know, I like that. <laughs> Tat and I, the governor, on this side of the river, and Chef Harpaz and I, and their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. <laughs> I think they saluted, and you could hear the rubber burn as they headed home. <laughs> and the elders of the Jews built it, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Edo. They built it and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. See, Esther, me, Ezra, the scribe, is giving you sort of an overview here. He's talked about several things, sort of out of chronological order. 
That's okay. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. The children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy and offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bullocks and two hundred rams and four hundred lambs for a sin offering for all Israel, twelve he-goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. It's always twelve. See, there's twelve tribes involved. And that's why we think back in the list there were eleven. There's probably one that dropped by one of the scribes, as I mentioned back way back there and so forth. And uh, so... Now, the, the numbers sound here pretty big, but they're actually very small compared to Solomon. Solomon, you may recall, he offered 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep. So, you know, you talk a couple hundred here. This is small potatoes compared to the, the glory days of Solomon. And that, of course, grieves many here. And uh, Now, it's interesting that they have 12 he-goats. The 12 goats for the sin offering show that the post-exile community still envisioned here a unified Israel consisting of all 12 tribes, even though there's only two that really survived with any strength, Judah and Benjamin. And that's surprising because Benjamin was the smallest of the tribes. But you can infer from all of this that all 12 are represented, and we'll see that confirmed in the New Testament and elsewhere. But let's move on. They set the tri- And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God which is in Jerusalem, as is written in the book of Moses. And the children of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. And... Uh, so, now beginning with verse 19, this all switches back to Hebrew. It's been in Aramaic from chapter 2 on. So, um, and now this is the first time in 70 years that they've been able to celebrate uh, the, uh, the feasts and so forth. Then for the priests and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. And the children of Israel, which were come again out of the captivity, and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord of God's will, did eat, and kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them uh, to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Ezra. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.